So I found the Happy Neighborhood Project very positive in those times to connect with people. And later on, I also became the chapter co-host for Oregon because you have to be staying in that state to become their co-host. So I was facilitating all small businesses in Oregon, across Oregon, and connecting one business to another. So that is a part of me. I am a giver. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Flavi Pandey, founder of Detox, about the importance of pursuing something you're passionate about and the challenges of being a mompreneur. Hello, my name is Pallavi Pandey. I am the mompreneur from Oregon, owner and founder of Detox, where Detox, we make compostable tableware from naturally fallen palm leaves. So here I'm a mompreneur who's on a mission to rescue these fallen leaves because I do want to revolutionize the way we are changing or the way we are looking at the single-use disposables at our homes, at our events. And I'm here to just provide an alternative, a better one for sure. Nice. So you're partnering with the original mompreneur, which is Mother Earth, right? <laughs> she's She's been in business a long mother- time. <laughs> from one mother to the other because we owe it to her don't we all absolutely that's awesome well i'm excited to have you on the show one thing that i find interesting is just everyone has a, such a different path into what they're doing now and mm-hmm. i like to dissect those paths a little bit just to remind people that you know careers aren't always linear i noticed your background actually started out in electrical engineering which is really fascinating can you tell us a little bit more about like what got you into electrical engineering and how did that path end up in entrepreneurship? Sure, I would love to elaborate a little bit more on that because looking at my resume, yes, a lot of people see master's degree from the Ohio State University in electrical engineering. But for the last couple of years, I did a corporate job in logistics for a private company, which was way different from my engineering background. And because of that experience, I was able to curate the logistics and the supply chain into my business today. And what I would like to say is not everybody has that sort of a story or a background to begin with. A lot of people don't have a story at all. And with time and with years, you just have to create your story and believe in it enough to take it and make it happen and try it because that is where you will actually realize what you really want to do. So... I didn't know I wanted to start my business. I did have two businesses before my very successful brand now, which is Detox. The past two businesses failed immensely because my heart was in it. In it, I didn't know oh, okay. much better other than engineering and then logistics work that I did for a company. But then slowly after I became a parent, I realized that I needed something for my own household, for my own children, where I could use better materials in the microwave and they were heating food or were eating that expensive organic groceries that I was spending on and putting them on those melamine and making them toxic or non-clean. And that when that's when I was like, forget the degree. I'm going to start something because I need to find something for my children where I want to make it safer for them to eat on because I'm anyway spending so much to put good food on their plate. Why not make my own plate? People make their food. And I was like, I'm going to make much more than just the food. It's going to be the plate, the table where I'm going to make. <laughs> so the degree definitely helped me with the confidence that, okay, I'm literate enough to study something, go in depth of finding solutions for something. But then it was just more than just a degree, the passion, the need to create something for my own household that uh, from which detox really emerged and was born. That's awesome. I feel like some of the best entrepreneurial stories are about problem solving. Like you come across a problem that ideally you have, you know, because that way you know what the problem is, you know what good solutions are, et cetera. But when you come across that problem and you're driven to do something about it, I think that's 
where some of the best stories and the best like entrepreneur and business fit kind of things come in to play. So your story actually also reminds me of Sandra Ann Harris, one of our, actually, I think our very first episode of the show where she realized Mm -hmm. all the waste that was going into packing her kids lunch and all the plastic and single use stuff and everything else. And so she went on a mission to create plastic free containers, lunch boxes, things like that for her kids, but then it, you know, ended up becoming this big entrepreneurial journey that she didn't expect to go on either. So I think I love that a lot of us end up in a place where we didn't expect it, but you know what? We go with the flow and figure it out as we go. So one question that popped up as you were describing that is, was it, so it sounded like the problem was the plates first, I'm guessing, but where did the leaves come in? Did you know that there were a bunch of naturally fallen leaves just completely going no. to waste when you came up with no, this No, I had no clue how I would do this because I knew I didn't want paper plates. I knew I didn't want styrofoam plates and I knew I didn't want to use single-use disposables. So what would I use? So as you can see, I'm a woman of color. I was born in India and I did eat on leaves while I was growing up. So I went back into my childhood memories and then I realized that even today, when we actually make a trip to India, they serve the street food on very raw looking leaves. But the problem was those very raw looking leaves are very flimsy. They have holes, they leak, you can't microwave them. So there were still problems with that material. It was just a matter of finding what is the right material. So we did end up in India doing our research, what material could be used? Could we do bamboo? No, because it's expensive. You do have to grow bamboo in order to cut that. And I was not okay investing that much time. I wanted a quick solution because I wanted to resonate with a lot of parents who were having this issue at home where kids are using melamine, plastics, and and single-use disposables at home. So when I went back to India, we came across a cottage industry that deals in areca palm trees. The areca palm trees, their main purpose is to produce areca nuts for culinary purposes. But once the nuts are done from the trees, the leaves fall like any other fall season. And that's where we looked at the pile of the fallen leaves and we were like, we're going to make some money and some impact with that, what is on the floor. And that's where I say, I'm here on a rescue to mission those fallen leaves because we found a material. It looked exactly like bamboo. It was sturdy. It was very woody. It was not as expensive as bamboo. It was just the perfect kind of material that we were looking for. Hence, we started manufacturing with those areca palm leaves in India. Okay. What would happen to those palm leaves if you weren't scooping them up and making plates out of them? They would just biodegrade or compost on their own with the help of rain, which is water, sunlight, and air. Like a natural process because it's a leaf. Nobody picks them up. They just compost and become soil fertilizer. Nice. Okay. And that is the concept that I wanted to incorporate in our tableware, which is at the end of the day, there is no waste because they compost. They are leaves. If you live in a small apartment in New York City, if you're a plant lover, break up the plate and put it in your pot because it is soil ultimately, the fertilizer. Or if you have a huge backyard, just take the plates after hosting or after using a couple of times, put them in your backyard and they do become soil because they just leave. So basically, literally, there's no landfill happening. There's no wastage that's being created, which was a big passion of mine, which was how can we eliminate the single-use wastage that comes with what is actually there traditionally in the market today? Yeah. So you're not adding any extra materials or layers or anything like that. You're just taking the leaves, cleaning them, pressing them, turning into plates, and then giving them to people who can then use them for a short while or however long. And then put them in their house plants or in their backyard or anything else. Beautiful. But you mentioned a couple times that malumine and other things you're trying to eliminate. For those who haven't gone on this journey of kind of understanding what they're putting their food on or what they're like serving to their children, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So like I mentioned, after I became a parent, I was very conscious because I was anyway trying to put the best healthy food options in front of my children. But when I saw them taking long hours, reheating the same food again and again, and also pile of dishes being collected in the sink, that was it for me. And especially when the COVID hit, with more time on Zoom calls, less time in the kitchen, less time to worry about dishes, that was it. And I was like, I want to provide value to people who are spending more time in the kitchen, more cooking, more cleaning, 
can this product be something that they can find value in? Because they can just use one dish for the whole day, use the same dish, put it in the fridge, take the same dish out, reheat the food, put it in the microwave, eat out of it, wash the same dish, maybe reuse it a couple of times, dry it in the sink because these are not dishwasher safe, but they are only hand wash safe. So that is what I wanted to create. And like I said, people make their food. I just wanted to make something more than the food, which was where my kids are putting their food on because that was important to me. Yeah. So to some degree, you're solving the problem of removing any toxins or whatever that might be in plastic or other single use or whatever throwaway kind of disposable plates. But ultimately what you're doing is you're saving busy moms or busy parents or whatever time, right? Because like washing dishes or whatever else is just such a pain. So you're giving them a solution that's just as convenient as the bad throwaway plates (laughs) that exist out there that have like layers of plastic and stuff on it, or maybe super flimsy and you can't reuse them and whatever else you're helping them with have just as convenient of a solution to save time so they can just focus on being with their family, but in a way that they can feel good about. It's compostable at the end of the day and it doesn't have any toxins. Yes. So at the end of the day, this concept did begin with convenience and style, but I wanted to take it beyond my kitchens. And that is where actually we found our niche, which were restaurants, catering companies, weddings, events. So it went beyond my kitchen. And that's where I say that I started this to inspire people to be sustainable in their kitchens. But today it's gone beyond the kitchens to events and hospitality and the food industry. Yeah. And I like that you say convenience and style because I've planned many events over my time. And as a sustainability geek, I'm always trying to make sure the plates and other things are compostable. But the compostable plates that exist out there are just usually really ugly. So if you've got this beautiful wedding or event that you've spent thousands of dollars on, you're inviting a bunch of people, it's maybe in this really gorgeous venue. (laughs) And you've got these hideous like compostable cups or like terrible looking plates like that just destroys the whole vibe of the event so putting a little bit of style into sustainability is kind of like you know the tesla versus the prius whereas the prius stood out as ugly intentionally so that people could flaunt their sustainability but not everyone wanted to do that you know some people just wanted to have a cool looking car so like tesla has blown up because of that so kind of the same thing you're providing to people correct Very aptly said, yes. How long have you been on this journey with Detox now? And kind of, you said you had a couple businesses that failed previously. So what lessons did you bring to those from those failures into this business beyond maybe just you weren't passionate about it? And then kind of how are things going so far? Great question. And that is a really very personal question to me because sometimes just not ideas make a great business. And like you said, when you actually have problem to solve. And when you find the real solution from your own personal experiences, that is where a business becomes successful and it really flourishes. And that was what was my learning because the previous two businesses that I had before business was like more of a, one of them was a jewelry business that I had. I never liked jewelry. I hate wearing jewelry, (laughs) but yes, there's a lot of money in jewelry. So that is why I wanted to venture it and try it out. And the other one was more of a subscription-based box for intimacy for couples. And again, that failed as well because I had no knowledge, I had no experience, and I had no need. And I was just trying it out of my hobby versus detox was something that was very dear to me. I connected my business model to my childhood presence and bringing that concept to the Western world, making it live every day in my kitchen. So every day waking up was a passion for me to try something on those every day with my family, including my family, my children, something more than beyond than myself. And then I saw it how I can help the world with that. Other parents, other event planners, other wedding people, other hospitality industry. So I just took it beyond my household. And that is where the real value came out of it. And I started Detox three years ago in 2019. We have grown exponentially in the last three years. Very fortunately, during COVID was one of the big times when we showed people how detox tableware, which are single-use disposables, a better alternative, can help cross-contamination. They can help minimal contact, which was really the requirement during COVID events or COVID times for people. 
So that is where we actually found a lot of our niches, which were charcuterie boards, because the charcuterie board owners were leaving the boards with customers, making them happy at the end of the day, leaving them with a beautiful platter that they could personally use, try, do whatever they want, versus to having worried about taking back their expensive bamboo boards after the event. So that opened up a big market for us. And again, weddings going intimate, very small scale and people becoming more consciously aware of what products can be used to make a budget-friendly weddings and fancier at the same time, making our food look presentable. And again, not flimsy with those paper plates flying in weddings, spilling food all over. So it just felt very aligned these times for us where we were able to grow in time with so there are niches other than just the kitchens and households. Beautiful. So once you realized that was a great space for your products. How did you go about getting the word out in those industries to let them know that you exist? Oh boy, that was a journey because before that, Detox was nowhere on social media, like zero, (laughs) zero presence. (laughs) But those two years of COVID actually gave me time to sit back and look from an outsider's perspective, not a business owner, but consumer, like what are they looking for? What can I help them? What can I show them? How can I show them? Because sometimes the problem is not that people don't know there exists a problem. They know it very clearly, but what they don't know is how to tackle that problem, what to do. So there I was like putting a lot of information on social media to display that this is how I do it as a mother, as a parent, as a person who's hosting as a person who just wants to relax, doesn't want to do dishes, as a person who loves gift giving to people, thoughtful, mindful gifts, I was able to incorporate all of that in our social media and just do all the publicity myself. I was wearing a lot of hats during the last two years. I am still wearing, but that is when my, my family really stepped up because they were doing product photography. My children are the brand ambassadors. They are seven and a half and nine and a half. And they do product photography. They do a lot of TikTok, a lot of reels, a lot of real videos. Like they were like, we don't need to dress up. We'll just do with whatever morning breakfast. So literally putting it out in front of people that what it is and how it is to use these products every day or for special occasions. So sometimes the main thing is laying it out there for people to say, this is an alternative and this is what you can do, giving them that choice, empowering them with that option. And that is where, what we did in the last two years in all of our social media. So you can probably Google detox and find us everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. It reminds me of, I can't remember where I originally heard this, if it was more of like a leadership principle or a marketing thing or something, but it reminds me of don't say it, show it basically. And it just, I think because a picture is worth a thousand words, so to speak, right? And you can explain to people all day long with a bunch of text on your packaging or your website or whatever of all the uses for your product. But that takes effort for people to go and read it and process it and associate with it and try to picture it in their mind. But when you can just take a photo of a use case that somebody wouldn't have thought of and they're like, "Ah, of course, I'm planning my wedding right now or I've got that corporate event coming up. And then they see a picture of your product in that setting. It just says so much more than a brochure or a catalog outlining all the different uses for your product would be. So getting out there and just showing it in all the different ways that it can be used, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's what kept our business model sustainable. I will say most of the startups do fail in the first three years. I think the main reason why we kept on going was because we were not styling anything. We were not table setting. We were actually cruising through this journey ourselves at home, doing everything by ourselves. So we were not having these fancy pictures on a social media. They're just regular food, whatever I cook on wherever it is. It's very real. And that's what I really want to show to people that you really just have to first think sustainably. If this is not your journey, that's fine. Even thinking is the first step towards changing your behavior or the products you use or the way you buy. So everything aligns at the end of the day with time. So That is where I really want to say people that we need to think how our individual efforts count and how do they matter, not for others, but our own lifestyles, our own lives. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like that, for lack of a better word, more scrappy approach to it was part of what helped resonate with your audience is that it looked like their life, not some perfect, polished, 
you know, celebrities life where they've got 20 assistants and stylists and everything else kind of driving things. Yes, I will say it's really not a switch on and off button. It's not. It's a gradual journey. I've gone through it myself. It takes effort. It takes a lot of courage because you sometimes have to give up that convenience, that convenience of just trashing something because it's easy to do versus when you literally care. And especially when you have those little faces who are looking at you, who follow what you do, who see what you do. That's the biggest thing of why I do what I do. It is because for them, they are learning with each thing. And 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 growing up, I went to a Catholic convent school. And actually, that was a very deep inside me because that's how I saw my parents. They were my examples. So my parents were very conscious of the way they were raising us, they, what they were teaching us. And they were very open-minded. So they didn't tell us this was wrong, this was correct. They were like, that's your decision to make. But there are these two sides. You should know both. And I have the same kind of approach. There is, yes, there is paper plate, which is cheap. There is this plate, which is a little expensive, but this is what it eventually does. So now the empowerment is what choice are you going to make? Yeah. And especially if you can demonstrate somehow that more often than not, I think with cheap paper plates, people are going to get one use out of it, right? But the fact that yours can be washed and reused and microwaved and et cetera, and still hold up, I think is powerful. So all of a sudden the price per piece or price per use kind of goes down, right? So for sure, you got to get over that hurdle of price, which I think a lot of more premium products need to get their audience over. But when you can demonstrate that pay a little bit more and you're going to get more out of it, I think, I hope personally (laughs) that that movement's starting to grow where we're hopefully starting to shift some of the American culture away from buy the cheapest possible thing wear it for a short period of time or use it for a short period of time or whatever, and then throw it away. I'm hoping we're getting more towards the buy higher quality stuff that's going to last a little longer because it's going to be better for you and the environment. And then when it's gone, hopefully there's a better way to have it disappear than just throw it in the landfill. Yes. And I would want the listeners today to actually ponder over one thing. You bring a great concept that nothing is ever thrown away anywhere. It goes somewhere. Where is that somewhere? So that's a real question. Yeah. yeah, I was just talking to someone that said they did a little experiment for themselves. And I've done this with some friends too, and it's eye-opening. But you say, okay, like right now you're throwing all your everything into a garbage can, let's just say. Assume you don't have recycling or compost set up in your home. You're throwing everything into that can. What would happen? Let's just take a look. If we had like three different bins or something, all your plastic or recyclable stuff will go over here. And then all your compost stuff or whatever will go over there. And all your whatever doesn't fit into one of those bins can stay in your trash can. And when you do that experiment for a week or a month or whatever, and you see these massive piles of things like plastic that can be recovered, hypothetically speaking, if the system's not broken, (laughs) and then you see all this massive bin of uh, compostable stuff, and then you realize there's like a tiny amount of actual trash in your trash can. And maybe you don't even have to take out your trash, but like once a month or something like that. It's really eye-opening to physically see it in your space like that. And the person that I was talking to said that even though they do recycle and do all these other things, they just wanted to better understand the plastic problem. So they pulled out all the plastic that they had bought like separately from all the other trash and just put that in one bin. And we're talking like, you know, they shop at sustainable food stores and everything else, but all these just single-use plastic or extra plastic packaging or whatever else that comes with all these products that's kind of unnecessary in a lot of cases, or at least unnecessary to the consumer. Maybe it's necessary in the supply chain somewhere. But when you pile all that up, it's just mind-blowing and it opens up your mind. But like you said, if you're just putting it all in one bin and then taking the trash out every day, you never process like how much waste you're creating. Some of that could be recoverable. Some of it is waste, but maybe it didn't need to be waste. Yeah, I think it takes a very conscious effort to think through it and actually then do it. And once you start doing it, that's what will keep it sustainable. A lot of times I never went on the sustainability journey until I became a parent because I didn't feel the need. I was lazy. I just didn't want to do it. But after that, because I had, like I said, those two faces looking at me every day with what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, it became even more promising to me that I should be doing it. And yeah. today, if I put something in the wrong bin, they would actually take it out and do it for me. So that's the reward I feel today. I'm raising the right kids here. 
Yeah, for sure. I've heard that story a lot of like when you introduce more like fresh fruits and vegetables or like sustainability concepts or whatever, whenever you slip, your kids end up calling you out. So it's kind of like this, not only are you modeling the behavior you want them to live into the future with, but then they become your accountability buddy too, (laughs) which is great. So you've mentioned a couple of times though, those little faces staring back up at you. So I know there's always challenges to being an entrepreneur, but you have added challenges (laughs) being a mompreneur. Can you talk a little bit about like what some of those challenges are like that maybe you've had to overcome or you're still overcoming or, you know, tips that for other mompreneurs that say, I don't know if I can do this. I've got little kids at home. That's a great question. I'm sure a lot of people will resonate that it's a never ending journey. It is always going to be there. The only way to do or tackle this is to make a plan. Like what is it that can help me versus it's not going to happen. I know a lot of people want to give up which I understand because I feel that way sometimes too. But again, what I have learned is balancing is a myth in life. You can never achieve that unless I am in a monastery with all the peace in my mind. I literally can't achieve balance in life. But what I have learned to do is blending my work and my life together, if possible, with the family, along with the four of us, doing things together, whether it's, and that's why I say when we are doing dinner, we just use our plates. While we're doing the plates, we take pictures, we're taking videos. So it's naturally flowing in our lifestyle. And that's what is keeping it sustainable, doing it. Like I said, I don't have to table style for anything because I try to blend it in my lifestyle. And I think I'm very fortunate that I have this business that I can blend in my life. A lot of people can't have that luxury of incorporating their products or service into their lifestyle, which I totally get it. But that's something I've been open to, which is trying to blend wherever I can. Like whenever we're doing a a trip together, I'll carry our products in the suitcases. We'll take them with us if we're doing a picnic, a beach. So it's just, and now more than me, it's them. When we, whenever we're packing, they'll go grab the samples and put it in the suitcases. So it's become easier when you try to pass it on, then it's just not your responsibility. Everybody else takes initiative to remember, to do, and that's easier to then bring balance in in the life by blending it a little bit. And again, you do have to, at the end of the day, make some, set up some boundaries. And that's where I say the balance comes in. It kicks in that, okay, this is what we're going overboard. We shouldn't be doing this now. Okay, that's enough. So again, that's a good way to put it, saying, because we all wear so many hats and there are single parents who do a lot of businesses. So just blending, trying to blend wherever you can is going to bring out that balance ultimately. And that goes back to like the product founder fit that you were talking about too. Like this is a product that you use, not just because it's your business, but because it fits into your life. So it makes it easier to blend it together that way. And then I love this idea of just kind of making sure your business and your family and your personal life all fit together. And I know there's this, a lot of people always talk about work-life balance and you need to separate them and create these strong boundaries and not bring your work home. And I've always thought that's just crazy. Like that's the opposite of what you should do because that's only for people who hate their job or like, like their job is completely irrelevant to their life. And I get that there are people who like don't have the privilege or whatever to go follow their passions or something like that, right? But I feel like that should be the goal of everyone is even if you do have to have a corporate job, find a corporate job that you love that's supporting things that you care about in the world, not just the paycheck, right? So I've always been an advocate for that too, especially for other creatives like myself. Like you could design for any company. You can design in terrible ways or in good ways. So why wouldn't you choose to design in more sustainable, responsible ways for companies that you actually care about, right? (laughs) Like if you've got the choice to follow that versus going and working some job that's just a paycheck where you're actually supporting the causes that you actually don't want to see in the world, like, yeah, don't bring that home because that's just toxic negative stuff. But like everyone should be shifting, in my opinion, more towards blend your passions and your life and everything else. And you're just going to be so much more fulfilled and maybe bring more of yourself to the world or or the better version of yourself. 
And also, Gage, you bring a very great point, and I do want to emphasize something very important to me, which I really value living in this country because I did grow up in India. So coming from a third world country, having that luxury or that openness or that option to go follow your passion, stand what you believe in, that's really possible in this country, which is America, because this is a land of opportunities. That is the reason why it's called that. And coming from an outside country, seeing that here, I so respect it. I so appreciate where I am. And people living here should be really happy that they have this option versus people who don't have that option elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you've just got to have a job to put food on the table, right? But even I see so many stories of people who are in those situations where they don't have a choice. They don't have an education or a skill set that would help them bring something to life. And and in those kind of situations, you got to do what you got to do. But I've also seen stories where people in those situations are, you know, going, sacrificing their downtime for a couple of years to get that education, to read the books, to, you know, do research on YouTube, to like whatever they can to kind of figure out how they can change that circumstance a little bit. And again, it's a lot of work, especially when you have kids and so on and so forth. So I don't want to say everyone needs to drop everything right now and like <laughs> go pursue their dreams. But but I feel like it's possible if you open up your mind, right? And it could just be small little ways. Like maybe you're still working in a factory, but instead of working in a factory creating cars, you could work in a factory that creates sustainable tableware or something. <laughs> you know, so like there's like little tweaks that you can try to make in your life. But again, recognizing that there's a lot of privilege to being in a country and in a financial situation and with a specific educational background and so on and so forth that opens up those opportunities. So not all is equal in that regard, but I just love the pursuit of fulfillment in any way it comes. Yes. And a lot of times we might not be confident. We might not see our full potential. And in that case, we might seek for extra motivation, extra support from friends or families or just bringing your ideas out and talking to somebody. So I always say there's never an idea that's too big or too small. It just you need to get to it, try it, and then either you'll fail or pass, right? And you'll figure it out. Because my two businesses failed terribly before that. I had investments in those, but they failed because I didn't start them out of my need. Maybe I was interested in it. Was I really passionate? I don't think so. And that is a clearly example why I've, I've sustained this business for three years. And I'm every day waking up with new ideas every morning with my whole family. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting to still have that passion. And I think that's another good point too for listeners is that you can't let a failure stop you from going, right? In fact, like in the design world, we've got... 99 failed ideas before one decent idea comes out, right? That's the whole point of the process is that you don't just say, I have one idea, I'm going to go pursue that one idea. And then it fails and you're like, oh, well, I guess I suck at this or I guess that was a terrible idea. And it's not necessarily because it was a terrible idea. It's just because you only went forward with one solution. You didn't prototype. You didn't come up with a, a very a range of ideas and try to pick out some of the winners through different criteria. So you need, I think more people just need to learn to kind of embrace that failure, you know, as part of the process, not necessarily as the end. Or how about we reiterate the word failure and we put it into experience? Yeah. Let's experience. sound better if it makes yeah, you feel especially better. because I do think failed experiences teach you more than successful experiences because if it went well, you don't even stop and think about it. You're just like, well, that went really well. I guess I nailed that. And then you don't learn any lessons where usually when it fails – that's when you're going to stop and say, well, why did it fail? Like, what could I learn from this? How can I do it better next time? And then you'll kind of continue improving from there. Yes. And talking about that, I also have like a reverse mindset sort of thing. Like a lot of people want to know, okay, how do I do this better? Sometimes I just want to know what should I not be doing so that I don't go through the failure experience. So sometimes I also try to track back instead of going forward and what should I be learning? Sometimes I like to take a step back, look from behind and be like, what should I not be doing? I don't want to venture this way. I don't want to do that. So not necessarily this is negative, but it's just a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. I think that approach is becoming more common in various fields, uh, especially in like sustainability or responsibility or impact design processes where you envision the future where you're trying to go and then you work your way back towards the present because 
working your way from now till something and a vague thing in the future that you don't even know where you're trying to go. Like you're going to be on a path to nowhere. You're just going to be like building railroad tracks that wander, wander all over the place and don't get you to the next station. Right. But if you know where that station is, <laughs> you can just kind of like plotting out a road trip or something like that. If you know where you're going, it's easier to pick the roads to go on. Yeah. But not all the time everybody knows where that platform is or where that road is. So that's where I say not everybody has a story or an end to a story, but you can create one with time and with experience. And when you actually repeat that story every day to yourself in the morning, that opens up a lot of confidence and a lot of new ideas. And that is what I do every day. Like literally, a lot of people don't Explain have- that a little bit more. Like what is that process like for you every day, every morning? You start believing in it. Every day, it's like manifesting, you know, for yourself and for people around you. And then they're seeing their confidence in you. And it's just adding fuel to the fire. So, yeah, people should do that more often. And they'll believe in it even much more. And I that see, belief can like, them really far. I feel like I've read or watched some videos of like people like Steve Jobs or Tony Robbins or something saying similar things. And it's about that kind of like getting the mindset right every morning, reminding yourself of what you're the journey you're on, why you're doing it, etc. Bringing that energy into life. And then when other people see that energy, they want to support it. Nice. So speaking of supporting, <laughs> and you know, you're already busy enough being a mompreneur, but I noticed that you do some work with something called the Happy Neighborhood Project. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So Happy Neighborhood Project is a networking platform. It is free of cost. And I found them at the very beginning of COVID when like COVID had just hit and there was no meeting, no talking to people. And that is where I found them. And the name itself intrigued me very much because it said happy neighborhood. And just the word happy was like, okay, I'm going to see what this is. And the second reason was it was free of cost. So at that time, most of the networkings were starting with $10, $5, whatever it was. And I was like, this is free. I'm going to try this. So I went in and tried it. And then it was this group of people who were really happy, who were trying to bring happiness and positivity in this world of commotion and uncertainty. So I got connected with them and I was enjoying meeting different kind of people. And Zoom was new at that time. And I was just learning all the tactics of Zoom, how it's done. And I was trying to get ahead of my children who were trying to do Zoom at school. So we were like trying to figure out who's more smarter in Zoom, me or them. <laughs> so this was a way. <laughs> and in this journey, nice. I came across very great small businesses from across the globe, actually. So Happy Neighborhood Project is not just limited to United States. It's actually global. So there are chapters that are based in various countries like Australia or India or UK so there are different chapters, just like any other networking events. You can attend any of the Zoom calls. They happen like eight hours on the clock throughout the day. So you can choose whichever networking event to go into. And they are all free. And there are breakout rooms, just like any other session. And you get to talk to them, tell them about who you are. And everybody takes a couple of minutes to hang out and connect later on. So I found that as a a source where I was emerging as a business owner. I was like, okay, now I need to tell the world I'm a small business owner. And how do I do that? And I found this free platform and that was like the icing on the cake for me. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it because I had nothing else to do, right? No dishes to wash. I was using detox, right? <laughs> so yeah, so I found the Happy Neighborhood Project very positive in those times to connect with people. And later on, I also became the chapter co-host for Oregon because you have to be staying in that state to become their co-host. So I was facilitating all small businesses in Oregon, across Oregon, and connecting one business to another. So that is a part of me. I am a giver. I, If I can't do something for somebody, I will try my best to get them resources or find it for them or somehow connect them to people who can help them. And that is a way I found to use my energy in, in keeping the positivity alive and connecting people to people. And that's what I loved. Uh, that sounds like a great organization. Is it more like on the professionals side or more on the just kind of neighbors talking to neighbors? And if you're in Oregon, do you have the option to join the group in Sydney, Australia or something yes. like that? Yes. So anybody from anybody can join at any time. And like I said, there are eight calls per day. It's like an hourly thing. So you can pick and go. And it works great with different time zones, different countries, different co-hosts. And 
yeah, the biggest factor for me was like, I'm not going to pay to go and network with people. So that worked just great for me. Yes. That's great. Yeah. So it's like something that's like builds sort of a social circle, but also networking, maybe something you would even do if you weren't an entrepreneur, but being an entrepreneur, just like what we were talking about before of like merging all the things together, it made total sense because you can get some of that social time. You can learn how to zoom better than your children. (laughs) You can meet people from around the world and get the word out about your business altogether. And what I did see was a good mix of people who were in the service industries and also people who had products or people who were selling insurances. So it it was a great mix of everything in there. And somebody could use somebody at any point of time. For example, I have a dog. I need a dog sitter. I knew of somebody in California. So if I have a sister who has a dog, I can call up my sister and let her know, hey, do you want a dog sitter? I just met this person today. Contact that person. So it was really very resourceful in connecting people to people. Nice. And you said they have a happy, positive vibe. Is that just somehow like part of the onboarding when you sign up for this community? They say like, hey, here's our rules of conduct or you've got to watch these videos and then maybe they moderate posts that aren't about happiness, but that are more complaining or something like that. No, they don't moderate. It's just the owner who created Happy Neighborhood Project is a very happy guy. He's from Kenya when he started it, Mr. Edwin Edeberry. And he's the happiest guy. Like he's so contagious. I think that's what really pulled me into this group was when I actually went to the Zoom calls. Now he's become too big and too busy. But when it started, he was it was an intimate group of people starting. Now it's like, again, like I said, 80 calls throughout the week across the globe. So he doesn't show up in every call. But when he did used to, that smile, that energy, that positivity was so contagious that I got hooked on. And I was like, I'm going to try this once again and once again and once again. And then <laughs> you're just soaked in it because you want positivity and happiness around you. But Mr. Edwin Edebury, he's been on a TED Talk and he's gone through ups and downs in life. And his story is, again, very inspiring. To be around. Yeah. But that just goes back to that modeling behavior thing we were talking about before as well, right? Modeling it for your kids, but it can also work when you're modeling it for a community as if you show up happy, if you show up generous, if you show up whatever, whatever you want that community to be, hopefully other people will see that and follow suit, like mimic that, try to keep that culture alive. Correct. And that's the biggest thing. People can't fake for how long are you going to fake? So when people really show up authentically, who they are, whatever, dog with them, kids with them, whatever, it works. So it's a platform that accepts everything. So you really don't have to be in your dress pants or whatever it is. It is what it is. And that's what I really liked about it. Nice. Okay. And so you're a few years in now with detox, the pandemic you know, may or may not be lifting, but at least I just recently went to some of my first big live in-person events again since the pandemic. So maybe the world's coming back live in various ways. So maybe more events that can use detox would be coming up. Obviously, people are at home using this kind of materials anyway, so you can continue growing in that space. But based on kind of where you see the economy going and where you've seen your business kind of going in this current point in time, like what do you feel like the future looks like for detox? Well, I will say it looks very positive because we've sustained the first three difficult years. And with time, we've found out everybody, wherever there's food, people could use this and it's gone beyond my kitchen. And today I know I can sell. I know I've been selling, but I want to make this product be easily accessible and reachable to people. We are 95% direct consumer right now, which is e-commerce, website, amazon.com. But I want to take it more beyond e-commerce and online because I want it to be in front of people where they can easily grab it, have it easily accessible on shelves. So I just see ourselves at various retailers or at various grocery stores. So that is where I'm headed this year. So I'm pivoting from the e-commerce world and actually coming into the real physical world where people can touch it, feel it and make the decision. Oh, I want to try this. I want to take this home with me. So yeah, that's where we headed. Great. That's exciting. And also scary, you know, because I mean, managing your direct to consumer retail is is a whole challenge in its own driving traffic and fulfillment and all this other kind of stuff. And then going into retail is like a whole other animal of distributors and brokers and retailers and everyone wanting to take their cut and needing to like go either regional or national or whatever else. So that's going to be a fun journey, I imagine. 
And there's, you know, different strategies for that. Do you have your eyes set on any retailers in particular at the moment? I do. I think our ideal retailer would be Whole Foods because there are a lot of eco-conscious people who go there and uh, who find value in organic food. So that's the best combination. Like I said, when you're spending so much on your organic groceries, why not make your plates safe and better as well? So that would be your ideal one. But other than that, if my personal choice, I love Trader Joe's because that's a place for outgoing, most stylish people who like to try new things and small packaging. And that's one of my style. So we are also designing our tableware into a small packaging of like literally eight plates or eight bowls so that people can just try it and versus going for bulk. So again, to bring us that sustainability and that like no spikes in the business would be a commercial place where it's like food service. They need it every day. Restaurant supplies, stores, where restaurants buy their uh, whole supplies from. So that would be another great channel for us where we can keep doing what we're doing. And why I insist on doing, because doing is powerful. And with the more sales we make, the more we can give back to the community. So a part of our proceeds when we make our online e-commerce sales, they do go back to India where majority of the female workforce manufacture products. And apart from that, when in the United States, any nonprofit signs up as an affiliate, we give them 10% of each sale. Any sale that comes through their affiliate link, which they sign up on our website, it goes to them and it's very transparent because they can see it, who's buying how much, and I'm out of the picture in that case. I can just reward them for signing up as our affiliate. And that gives us an opportunity to us to support them. Nice. And that's only for nonprofits? No, we have affiliate links for everybody. For anybody who sees they have network and can get people interested in the product. So the affiliate link is for everybody. And everybody gets 10% back on each sale when they sign up as an affiliate. But I wanted to go beyond borders and not just do for the community back in India. And I was like, how do I do it for the nonprofits here? So I was like, even the nonprofits can sign up as an affiliate. It just doesn't need to be people. It can be organizations. It can be nonprofits. It's about who signs up. And when they sign up, they automatically start getting 10% commissions through their affiliate links, wherever they market it. Yeah, but especially for nonprofits, and I think influencers a lot as well, but especially nonprofits, they need to find sustainable revenue streams, right? Like I've run plenty of nonprofits and the constantly going out and trying to beg for checks gets tiring. And especially when it's a a big once a year push or something like that. But to have ongoing, somewhat passive income streams, I think is something that a lot of nonprofits can benefit from. So that's, that's great that you've got that option out there. With your experience so far in multiple businesses and this one right now, if somebody out there listening to this is like, you know what, maybe I'm just going to go for it. I have this idea. It aligns perfectly with my life, et cetera. I'm going to jump into this. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. What would be your, like, let's just say top three pieces of advice for them? I will say again, you don't know until you try it. You'll either really flourish or have an experience with that journey. Uh, The second one is social media, social media, social media. I started with zero, zero social media. And today we have a great following. It's every day very rewarding to get an inbox message saying, you're an eco-warrior. We love what you're doing with your family, with your children, putting it out there in front of people, like really not faking it and just putting it there, whatever it is, without worrying if it looks fancy enough or not, or the background. No, just be yourself, put it out there. And somebody will resonate with it. doesn't have to be this or that, but it'll be somebody at some point of time with whatever you put out there. So use the social media because it's free of cost and literally it can do wonders. And it's about spreading that awareness for who you are, what you're trying to do and how they can help. So everything has to align because maybe I'm trying to do something and there's no ask, like, how can people support me in that? It's important to put your ass there in a way where it's feasible for the other person to support. If it's telling about your brand, telling about your brand to your dad who owns a restaurant, to a friend who's a wedding planner. So again, it has to fall together. What do you want? Why are you doing it? And what do you offering to people how they can help? Nice. That's smart. Yeah. And I found the social media community very supportive in the last few years. So I really have to thank everybody who's been following us, who's been buying from us, who's been supporting this mompreneur in this journey, because I'm trying to do everything on my own from manufacturing it to supplying it with a mission, which is giving back to the community. Yeah. And that's a lot of work. And so it's great to have a community out there supporting you. 
And yeah, that's a good note about social media because the more you build up your own following, the less you have to pay for traffic to your website or pay to build a following, right? Because I think that's where that's the struggle of a lot of new businesses is how do you get the word out? And if you have no social media presence, if you don't have a good email list, et cetera, you're going to have to pay for ads. You're going to have to uh, pay influencers. You're going to have to buy lists. You're gonna have, there's so much that you're going to have to do, but working as soon as possible, like starting as early as possible to build up your social media presence, I think is a smart move. Yeah. And even if it's an idea, I've, I've come across with some businesses where they don't have a physical product or service, but they have an idea. I'm like, yeah, start telling people about this idea because that's like a initial interview that you do before you launch a prototype. So you have some data in front of you. And again, being a startup, being a small business, you have limited resources. You have limited connections. You don't know who makes a website. You don't have the funds or the budget to go and pay somebody to do your PR, which is crazy expensive. So you don't have all of that. What do you have? You have your mind, your face, your voice, because you are the person who is behind everything, the brand, the service, the product, and nobody can do better than you. You have to put yourself there. Beautiful. Well, that's great advice. Hopefully you slash this episode will inspire some other folks or at least give them some tips if they're already on their journey. And I appreciate what you're doing to you know save the planet in your way in, in which you're trying to build a business that's not only has a product that's sustainable, but you're building a business that also gives back to important causes. And kind of like what we were talking about with those little faces looking back up, you, you're demonstrating what the world needs and hopefully other people will follow. So we'll uh, share this out with the community and hopefully it'll get more folks to learn about detox. They'll track you down. We'll see if we can get Trader Joe's <laughs> over to you <laughs> as soon as possible. If you're listening, I'm here an making audience, a noise but... because I'm not just a commodity. <laughs> yeah, I think that actually Thank would be a perfect for... store because almost everything in their store is basically like party ready, right? It's all like appetizers and snacks and things. So of course they need detox. Yes. Thank you again, Gage, for having me on this platform. A big thank you to the listeners and thank you for all the small business love. All right. Cheers to the future. <laughs> to our only planet. Yes. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Pallavi or Detox, go to detox.com. That's D-T-O-C-S dot com. <laughs>